1: The Athletic.
2: Hello and welcome to the Weekend Preview on the Athletic Football Podcast, sponsored by Bet365. I'm Dan Bardell and each and every Friday, myself and co-host George Ellick will preview the best of the weekend's Premier League action, well what's left of it, alongside Bet365's Steve Free. On this week's show we're going to talk Trent and his powers of creation, Kevin De Bruyne is back with a bang and how Martinelli switched from automatic to a manual. Hello guys, good to speak to you both, good to see you both healthy, fit and well. (sighs) Premier League, I mean, there is a danger that we do this show. And then it never airs, <laughs> or that the games that we talk about don't don't happen. They happen in in future, and it looks like everything we've said is a load of rubbish. So who knows what is going to go on? George, do we need some kind of circuit breaker in in the Premier League? Only five games as we record are taking place. It's all a bit carnage-like, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. I, I think you know I'm no expert here um, on public health matters, so I'm not going to pretend to be. Um, but it was interesting to hear Emma Hayes. Talking last night about the Chelsea women's team who lost four nil against Wolfsburg in what was a pretty surprising result in the in the Women's Champions League and got knocked out and he came she came out afterwards and said, you know it was the the players are feeling an unbelievable amount of anxiety basically around the situation around the health issues um, surrounding COVID at the moment and and I think that's probably the key to all of this is is player welfare um, and welfare oh, yeah. of just everyone involved in the sport if. if You don't want these young men and young women, because this isn't just about the Premier League, this is about the whole pyramid uh, and both men's and women's sport. You you don't want these people to be in positions where they're having to play games of football when they feel unsafe or or if there are health issues. So if the clubs need a circuit breaker, that is what what they should do. Um, The fact that it'll cause fixture congestion in the future is a concern. Obviously, we have no idea if this situation at the moment is going to be months, weeks or or, or longer. Um, so whether we're in a position to, to play those games that are being postponed in February, we have absolutely no idea. So it's very difficult. Um, you know, I'm doing this podcast now. I'm doing another, another podcast this afternoon, previewing the EFL games. We have no idea what games are going ahead. And then tomorrow I'm, I'm, I'm on the EFL Highlight Show, which is a two-hour show. And at the moment, I think we're going to be talking for about an hour and 50 minutes about it. So it's going to be an interesting weekend. Um, fingers crossed we get the football to watch to take our mind off what's maybe going on elsewhere. And um, most importantly, fingers crossed people going to games as well, fans going to games, uh, stay safe.
2: Yeah, I did a preview show this morning that I do every week, another Premier League preview. We didn't even bother previewing the games. We just did, <laughs> did a mid-season awards instead because nice. it just doesn't feel doesn't feel worth previewing the games. But I'm sure this podcast will still be worth listening to, even though I've just completely poo-pooed any idea of doing previews. <laughs> yeah, good, Great job, stuff.
3: good job the sponsors aren't listening, eh? Yeah, Steve Whitty, have you any opinion? <laughs> No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Steve hey, hey. Yeah. <laughs> You've been waiting for that one, haven't you? Yeah. Hey? a hey. good. done genuinely just popped into my head. Hey, I don't know hey, why. Hey, 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 hey. so, works hey. on two levels, Steve. It's as if, like, Villa have won away at uh, bottom of the table, Norwich. You know, you got a real spring in five your step, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, five from seven. Yeah, no, I echo the sentiments that George said. Clearly, we want everybody safe. Although I was quite surprised by the um, statement from the EFL yesterday. D- did I read about 25% of of players not being vaccinated or any intention to be vaccinated. Mm. Was that right, George?
1: Yeah, 25%. um, I think there was basically the EFL spoke to um, all the players and asked them whether they'd been vaccinated, whether they intended to get vaccinated and whether they had no intention to get vaccinated. And quite a surprising amount seemed to have the intention, which suggests that any attempts to educate um, the players has been somewhat successful because that would suggest these are these are players who, who weren't willing initially um and, and are now looking to to do so. But yeah, twenty-five percent not getting vaccinated is a concern. Um I know that there will be people listening to this podcast who themselves um don't want to get vaccinated and think it's unnecessary for, for healthy young men to do so. Um I would Argue pretty strongly against that. Of course, it is everyone's choice, but um, as is the case with all of these things, the consequences of your actions are something you have to take responsibility for. And within football, you know, people will often say, the jab doesn't stop you getting COVID. It doesn't stop you passing on COVID. Well, that might be the case, but it does significantly um, bring down the chances of you getting seriously ill from COVID. It does significantly bring down the the chances of you passing it on as well. So, and this isn't an issue with just football. This is an issue with young men um, across the country where it, the, the 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 lowest dem- demographic of vaccinated is is young. Men who seemingly think that they're healthy enough and that their immune system will be enough to, to keep themselves and those close to them safe. But as Jurgen Klopp said in his programme notes last night, I would defer to those experts and you know I would listen to the people who, who are scientists who, who know what they're doing. And I wouldn't look uh, at the theories as to why their advice may be disingenuous because I've got a feeling um, they're on the right side of the argument.
2: Well, before we get into the podcast that I've essentially just labelled pointless, what's never pointless is signing up to The Athletic. And at the moment, you can (laughs) save 33% on access to the best newsroom in sports. That's just £3.33 a month for an entire year. Treat yourself this Christmas and go to theathletic.com slash football pod. First game of the weekend then is Leeds v Arsenal, Steve. Mm. (sighs) <sighs> Leeds. Yeah. Leeds, 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 Leeds yeah. against Manchester City midweek. I mean, Man City can take the best of teams apart. I think there is circumstances out of Leeds controls. They've had injuries all season. Their back line's been decimated, but some of the defending was not pretty at all.
3: No, I don't I still don't think they're marching down to the championship, uh, Dan. I mean, they are 7-2 to two to be relegated and there's not a great deal of noise either about the future of Bielsa. Is there really? Clearly, you know, this is a lead side who were flying last season. I think there was only two points between them last season, you know, between these two sides. It's amazing, really. There's already 13 this as well. And there was no repeat of that uh, shock result at the Etihad last season for them, really. Uh, you know, when they won there with, with with 10 men, I think Cooper got sent off near half time, didn't he? But this 7-0 thumping now, I suppose the difference was that, they put their chances away this time. At Manchester City, fifteen of the thirty-one shots were on target. Uh, the same eleven, I think, that played against Chelsea a few days earlier. Some tired legs, tired minds out there. I think it was the the first time in five hundred and sixty-eight games that a Bielsa side had conceded seven. I think last time that I lost by that amount was a seven-goal uh, thriller up here against Stoke back in 1934 when I was a young lad. I thought I mentioned that. I was actually how that game was. But, yeah, before you got in. But speaking to a, a guy that goes home and away who who works for us, he was kind of saying that that's maybe the first time that a Leeds United side have, have got to down tools a little bit under Bielsa, and it was it was a little bit worrying. But clearly, you know, there are reasons for this uh, for this run of form for, for Leeds with with a whole host of injuries and COVID, etc. Well, arguably, you know, like a lot of teams as well.
2: Yeah, it's Bielsa really in no trouble at all, George, because I think, you know, he's got so much credit in the bank. The Leeds fans absolutely love him. But I, just, I look at my own team and Villa and Dean Smith had credit in the bank. And when there were signs of trouble, he got the boot. If Leeds continued to fall towards the relegation zone,
1: would they really not change the manager? It is very, very hard to say. There there comes a point where, um, you know, where having tried so hard and for so long to get back into the Premier League. If Leeds are genuinely on the brink of, of getting relegated or of of being embroiled in a relegation battle come the last five or six games of the season, then there will be a decision to be made because as we as we know when it when your team isn't performing to the best of its abilities and the transfer window is closed, there is only one thing you can change and that's the manager. You, you can't sack the players and bring in the new bring in new players. You can't sack the fans, you can't sack the board. The only change you can make is by paying off the manager and getting a new manager in, and that's why we, we see even quite often when it won't be a manager's fault that things aren't going well on the pitch. It's the one thing that you can have control over. So I'm sure it would come into scrutiny. Um, I think Bielsa himself, there would be some trust amongst Leeds uh, fans and 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 you know the board themselves that Bielsa is experienced enough. He's walked away from jobs before. That he if he feels like he isn't the man. to to take this team forward anymore that he might be the person to step back and say you know what it might be time to get somebody else in but you know he is still a a visionary tactically he's still somebody who has elevated the um the expectations of Leeds United to, to well beyond what we thought would be um where they'd be when he took over in a few years time so still got credit in the bank Leeds fans won't want him to go but um yeah that was pretty concerning what we saw on against City they they had I mean I, I think it's been part because of the way they approach games they're always looking to 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 cause the opposition problems rather than just to to contain but against a side like City in that kind of form you're you're asking for trouble.
2: Do You think the manner of the Chelsea defeat losing that one so late, Steve played a part.
1: Yeah
3: yeah definitely it, it was again it was the same 11 wasn't it that Bielsa put out just just a few days later um and as we've as, as George mentioned there you know it, it, it was just that they were so open there compared to Wolves just a few days earlier, who played Manchester City with 10 men who were just tight and come back. And it's just the way that Bielsa plays. And they got massively, massively tore apart. But hopefully from a Leeds perspective, you know, they can they can pick themselves up and, and go again. You know, the odds are still very fav- favourable for them. Um, me as a neutral, I, I really enjoy watching watching Leeds United play. Unfortunately, they've got some real big sides over the next couple of weeks, you know, as well as Arsenal, you know, Liverpool away. And then probably the biggest one of all, the former European champions, Aston Villa, at home on the 28th <laughs> of December. So big Huge. test for Leeds United
1: it's worth also pointing out some context around this this Leeds result the, the 7-0 because even though you know anyone who watched it it did kind of feel like city were going to score whenever they went forward but they did score some great goals you know de bruyne's strike was obviously fa- the, the second de bruyne's strike was fantastic but if you look at And there are pitfalls to looking at at XG in in individual games. And I know some people will probably switch off the podcast as soon as I mention it, but, but it is important just to note that, you know, in my head as well, that the Watford performance against city and the Wolves performance against city were, were much more pragmatic. You know, they, they, even though Watford under Anieri are a team who looked to attack wherever possible against City, they did drop in and they did say, you know what, we're going to play a low block and we're going to let you um, have a lot of the ball. But the XG numbers, you know, against Leeds it was 3.31 to, to 0.23, so City outperforming their XG by nearly four goals, and they're remarkably similar to the, to the to the values in the other two games. Wolves was 3 XG to 0.08, Watford was 4.03 to 0.68. So they actually created better opportunities against Watford than they did against Leeds. And even the 2-1 win against West Ham that preceded the the Villa win was 2.72, 0.17, which is pretty close to the Leeds one. So there there is a slight argument here to say that the 7-0 paints this in a worse light than um, what actually happened on the pitch. But it's always important to contextualise stats with the eye tests. And anyone who watched, I mean, myself included, anyone who watched that game that figure does seem fairly low. I think if you're looking at maybe expected threat rather than expected goals, it did feel like every single time City had the ball, which was for most of the game, and we're entering into the final third, they looked pretty dangerous. Well,
2: here's some stats for you, Steve. Arsenal have the joint best home record in the Premier League with Manchester City. 22 points from nine games. Contrastingly, they've only got seven points from eight games on the road, though. But at home now... Mm. They look a decent proposition and when they get ahead, they seem to be able to hold on to it. And in the case of the other night, build on it.
3: Yeah. I mean, who'd have thought that after three games, Dan? I mean, they, were out, me. th- th- they were out to 12-1 to after after those three games, after that 5-0 defeat to to Manchester City. Three defeats and three no-goal scores, nine conceded. And uh, it's not down, just down to Aaron Ramsdale, but he came in. The game after that, I think it was Norwich, and they and they've and they've kicked on since. Um, second best in the uh, goals prevented charts behind uh, the goalkeeper of Wolves saw as well. Twelve goals conceded from. 64 shots faced on target so we've all been waxing lyrical really about Ramsdale initially we weren't well I certainly wasn't sure about the transfer but he's 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 gone great guns and they've been brilliant at home they lost to Chelsea early on didn't they very early on but they've they've won seven and drew one since so yeah like you say the best best record along with Manchester City as well and and we'll see whether that record stays intact till the uh, the 1st of January when they have a, a a very good looking game against against Manchester City as well
2: I will say, I think Gabriel is actually their most important player and I don't think he played the first few games of the season. So the, the runners actually coincided with him coming into the defence as well. Really, really good defender, Gabriel, and potential captaincy candidate as well. George, have they actually been galvanised by the Abamiang fallout? I mean, there's been plenty of podcasts on on this feed talking about it. There's also been loads of stuff in, in the Athletic as well. But, you know, they've got a win off the back of the Abamiang fallout this week against a good West Ham side who they're challenging for the top four with. Is he going to get back in? I mean, what's going to happen?
1: I mean, I don't think he's going to get back in. It doesn't look like that. that's going to be the case anyway. And I think there's an argument which I'll come on to when I give my tip here that they are much better off, given the personnel that they now play, they're much better off without him um, in the side. Um, I think to an extent, the Everton result represented rock bottom in a way where Abamyang, you know that was the beginning of the Abamyang fallout, where no one really knew what was going on, but it was clear that something had happened. They went ahead in the game again and sacrificed a lead to lose against a side in Everton, who who can't buy a win from anywhere. They lost in an injury time screamer, which just kind of takes the gloss. I mean, the, whatever the reverse of gloss off is, I mean, it, it makes that result and makes the what happened even harder to take and they were going to go one of two things looked like it was going to happen it was either all going to unravel or they had to bounce back from what was a blow off the pitch and a blow on the pitch and they put in two incredibly polished professional performances since that where they beat Southampton 3-0 um, Southampton had the better of the game in the first 10 minutes and then completely at odds to what we've seen from Arsenal this season they scored against a run of play and then just grew into the game as the further it went on and then ended it um, fully justifying their 3-0 win and then again against West Ham. West Ham had a couple of chances early on. Four very nearly scored in the first 10 minutes. But as soon as they went ahead, you know, they could have won by more than two. And, and you know they missed the penalty as well in the game. So it does feel to me like things are maybe oh, have kind of bounced on, onto an upward trajectory off the back of some adversity, which can happen. Um, and they feel in a much better place now uh, with a lot of the the questions, you know, it felt like a a club with a lot of uncertainty, a lot of uncertainty around Arteta, a lot of uncertainty around whether any good form was sustainable. Um, but these two performances we've seen in the last couple of weeks have been far clear against two like decent opposition, tough teams to beat. Have been well clear of much of what we saw early on in the season when they were still picking up wins.
2: Yeah, Martinelli's coming to the side. George Mikel Arteta said after the West Ham game, he's able to put some gears into his play instead of doing everything at a hundred miles per hour. I guess that means that he was, you know, he's a sensational footballer. He's very, very, he's obviously very, very quick, but maybe he's toned it down a little bit to get the decision making right, make the right pass, make the right run, and he's been really, really important the last few games. Yeah, he's
1: been massive. Um, I mean, it's interesting to hear Arteta say that, given that the opener against West Ham was, was mainly due to his explosive pace, uh, getting in behind and running through. But he, you know, he's a player that I think a lot of Arsenal fans have been have been pretty surprised as to how little they've seen of him. You know, he bout, he burst onto the scene with all those goals in the in the Europa League a long time ago now, and he's, he's still a very young player. But you look at the the career paths of, of Bukayo Saka and of Emil Smith Rowe um, in that time, and, and Martinelli's been lagging well behind. But now, often for these for these players, it does take some time to finesse their game, and that's clearly what Arteta has been working on. And and you know it's quite rare to see a young player come in from the wilderness and step up into regular first team action and do it as as well as Martinelli has done. So um, at the moment, it looks like a masterstroke to have have taken him out of the fire for a bit. Um, and he is just another player who Arsenal have so many exciting attacking players who can play well off a front man who can hold the ball up and that is what I'm getting to when when I come to my tip here where I think Alexandre Lacazette is a far better fit for this Arsenal side now when you've got Saka and you've got Erdegaard and you've got Smith Rowe and you've got um, Martinelli all these players who, who can carry the ball give and go run in behind break the high line unlike somebody like Pepe who you know, has obviously struggled massively for form this season. He scored a, a, a few goals at the back end of last season, but he's somebody who, you know, you want to be a ball carrier who's fairly selfish, who will get balls into the box, will look to shoot where possible himself. Um, but with those four playing off, off Lacazette, who is so good with his back-to-goal, you know, he's, he's a striker who will score goals. He can provide that that penalty box threat, but he's brilliant at holding up the ball. You saw the, the, the pass through to Martinelli for the opener against West Ham. He's a much cleverer, um, front man, a much more well-rounded front man compared to an Aubameyang who is somebody who will either look to drift into the channels or play off the last man so um, whether by design or by luck I, I think Arsenal are in a much better position as an attacking unit with Lacazette as the focal point rather than rather than Aubameyang
2: Yes, yeah, I think it's worth saying he played number 10 a fair bit in France so he has got that creative streak in him. Do you want to give me a tip then George, you've teased it
1: Yeah, it's looking at those players who are kind of playing off Lacazette at the moment Um, because I think with with Calvin Phillips out, Leeds are just a horror show defensively and it's impossible. Even if Arsenal don't win this game, you've got to anticipate that they're going to get chances to to score. The only way they don't win, in my view, is if it becomes, uh, if if Leeds can find their attacking verve and uh, this becomes a, a, a a Bit of a shootout in terms of who can score more, um, but I anticipate Arsenal at five to six could well be a bit of value here. Um, but looking at those players, we're going to be playing off Lacazette. Um, you've got Martinelli who's, who's seven to four to score anytime, uh, Saka is 13 to five to score anytime, Smith Rowe. 3-1 to one. Um, but the one I like is, is Odegaard, who's uh, who, who plays as, as a 10 he's scored 3 goals in his last 4 he's getting into goal scoring opportunities regularly he's far more of an attacking uh, well he's far more of a goal threat now as I say with, with Lacazette in the side um, almost as his foil. So, in a game where you've, you've got to be anticipating that Arsenal are going to get chances to score, I, I think of those four players in behind, I mean, Lacazette is the, is the favourite to score time. He's, he's 13 to 10. But I think that 13 to 5 about Odegaard is, is probably the value way to go. I mean, the the 3 to 1 Smith Rowe uh, is also interesting. But, you know, you want to wait for team news maybe before deciding between Smith Rowe and, and Martinelli, whereas Odegaard should be a surefire starter.
2: Game two that we're going to preview today is Newcastle versus Manchester City, Sunday 2.15 kickoff. And Steve, we've spoke about Manchester City a bit. Undoubtedly, phenomenal squad. So many creative, explosive players in there. Kind of forget about Kevin De Bruyne a little bit this is because he's barely played. and Then he comes in and takes leads apart. I mean, he's just such a
3: gifted footballer, isn't
0: he? Yeah.
3: And worryingly, of course, he's a, he's only just getting up to speed as well, isn't he? I don't think he's got an assist yet this season. Uh, but, uh, you know, a couple of goals, uh, brilliant to see him back. He's had an injury stroke COVID hit season. Quite, it, it, I suppose you could say that about a lot of players. But it, it's I think we just, as a neutral, you just love watching... Kevin De Bruyne playing. If it goes ahead on Boxing Day, I'm looking forward to I'm going to actually go and take my parents to Man City against Leicester because they wanted to go and see a game on Boxing Day. We always go on Boxing Day to see a game. Yeah. And they kind of pointed out, you know, let's go to Manchester City if we get three tickets, Steve. So you were trying I'm to get to Arsenal, weren't you? Uh, yeah, I think crew. Or I, I, <laughs> I said to them, well, we've got crew or Port Vale, uh, mum and dad. Where do you want to go? They said, well, where are Man City playing, Steve? So yeah, listen, it's great to see him up to speed. He's, he's a and of course, he's going for the a third time for the PFA Player of the Euro award, which hasn't happened before. There are a number of players that have won it twice, twice on the bounce. Ba- I think Ronaldo's won it twice on the bounce and Thierry Henry has won it twice on the bounce as well. So we've cut him in from 20 into 12 to 1. He's got the best football of the season ahead of him, you would have thought, and it's a mouthwatering prospect as well. I mean, we're all talking about, we have been talking about Bernardo Silva this season, haven't we? And just the fact that they've got KDB waiting in the wings as well, just goes to prove why well, Manchester City are 8-15 to favourites for the title. And they're only around 18-1 to one to win the treble. Clearly, they haven't done that yet. They seem to get close every single year, but it hasn't happened. 33 wins already this season in the Premier League in 41 games. He's fantastic. Pep's side have now scored 500 times in 207 games that he's managed them. It's brilliant. And um, you watch. It'll be 0-0 against Leicester when I go. <laughs>
2: I mean, they might be able to give Bernardo Silva a rest if De Bruyne is back. George, I mean, Ke- Bernardo Silva's <laughs> played pretty much every game, hasn't he? But now Kevin Kevin De Bruyne is back, at least he might be able to come, come out for a game or two and then come back in his scintillating form that he's been in. But they've got talent all over the pitch, haven't
1: they? It was such a sign of class from De Bruyne. I mean, all this talk about Bernardo, um, you know, Pep being asked if if um, KDB being out the side meant that Bernardo was able to, to to be a better player and impact games more. De Bruyne comes back in and puts in that performance um, you know class is is quite clearly permanent um, I don't think we can necessarily argue that he was out of form either it was just a, um, some fitness issues preventing him under the form of other players from, from getting uh, regular minutes but I mean what a player and you know the PFA Player of the Year award isn't isn't one that I um, necessarily like I mean I think individual awards in football are, are, are fairly arbitrary anyway um, but often with a PFA award Recency bias plays a massive part, and if if Kevin De Bruyne is going to be in that kind of form, and City at eight to fifteen to win the league, the twelve to one about him winning that that award has, has got to be value because <laughs> often the whatever happens between uh, August and and December may as well be put in the bin. Uh, it's whoever's basically putting up pulling up trees at the time um his numbers may not be good enough but i think that 12 to 1 could could well look look big um come come march or april uh, and also the 18 to 1 about them to win the treble i just you know european football is is at a a very very low ebb at the moment um you're looking at who is who are the the key challenges to to city in the champions league um you've got Bayern munich are, are the obvious ones to to be taking them on but who else? You know, Spanish football is not in a good place at the moment. Um, you've got a, a Chelsea side who are eight to one compared to Cities, eight fifteen to win the Champions League. And i probably fancy them, you know, if, if they were to meet in the final again to be heavy favourites, Liverpool are quite clearly challengers, but you do wonder if this season the Premier League is, is is probably their priority in order to try and wrestle it back with with fans touch wood in, in the stadium um come May. So and then the FA Cup, which again, I mean, they're they're quite clearly the best team in the country. So you know, I'm I'm not interested in backing the 8 to 15 about City to win the league, but 18 to one on them to win the treble seems like you're going to get a pretty good sweat out of that um, because they are just scintillatingly, relentlessly good.
2: Yeah, Newcastle, Steve. I watched the game last night against Liverpool.
1: I thought they put up a, de- a
2: decent fight, a, de- a decent show. Could have easily scored more goals than that than they did, and. I thought as defeats go, it was relatively positive against Liverpool.
3: Yeah, of course Shelby scoring here he would have enjoyed that, won't he, in front of the cop. Don't think he'd have enjoyed his back pass though, which was no. I think that's just an all too familiar tale of 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 Newcastle this season as they limped towards the, the January transfer window. No selfies or a lap of honours after the Leicester game last week where Leicester City were there for the taking, frankly, weren't they? But it was another shocking second half performance from them. So let's see what happens in January. Dan, uh, I say Nicky Hammond is going there, according to reports in The Athletic that I've read this morning. Uh, Nicky Hammond was at the Albion, technical director a few years ago at the Albion. Um, two words, Alan Pardew. That's all I'm going to say and, and, and move on, move on very quickly. Um, and and just going back to the Albion theme as well, one winning 17 Newcastle, I think only only the Albion have, have been in that kind of position before and and, and pulled off the, the great escape. And, uh, you know, they're going for their second victory, Newcastle. Albion's second victory in that great run back then, 15, 16 years ago, was against Manchester City as well. So admittedly, they City back in those days had Danny Mills and Joey Barton. City now have KDB and Joe Cancelo. So there is a bit of a difference there. I just remember you know, the, the arrival of, of Kevin Campbell and Kieran Richardson back in January was was a huge boost for, for the LB, and then clearly Newcastle are going to have to try and do that uh, now just to get some big names in, some big, bigger. Uh performances from uh, you'll have to wait and see who they get clearly a, a fullback a ball playing centre-half maybe a centre-forward maybe a centre-midfielder you know good luck to Nicky Hammond and the team tr- uh, trying to get that but they are four to six to go down so it's not as if they're 100 to one on to go get uh, go down down but it's clearly it's going to be a big test for them.
2: Kieran Trippier seems to be the main man that is getting linked with Newcastle George, as a good a player as he is you know is that going to be the difference between staying up and not
1: I mean, probably not on its own, no. I mean, he, he is somebody who provides very, very good set-piece delivery, which can be pretty important when it comes to um, a, a very low-margin contest like a relegation battle where any marginal gain you can get, if you can score, what, six, seven, eight set-piece goals between um, January and the end of the season, that's going to make a massive impact to, to your chance of staying up. Um the irony is that Javier Manquillo, who who generally plays right back for, for Newcastle when fit, has been one of if not their best player this season. So uh, it's not necessarily an area where they where they need to strengthen. Um, but you know he's he's clearly you know he's he's a player who w- would never have been linked to Newcastle before the takeover. He is the kind of caliber of player that they want to be signing. Um, there isn't you know we've, we've discussed on on the show before the issues that Newcastle are going to have where. I can't see any Premier League club wanting necessarily to do to do good business with them. Um I think they most Premier League clubs will, will want to do what they can to see them relegated after the wrangling over the the takeover itself. Um but Eddie Howard does have a, a relationship with him. He was the one who brought him to Burnley in his short, ill fated spell as Burnley manager. Um so there is that and you know Atleti are, are probably gonna have no issues with you know, if, if they meet the price or if they meet the the agreement to, to bring him over to to let him go to Newcastle so definitely the right calibre of signing not necessarily the right age in terms of, of a long-term deal but um, yeah, I mean he's better than what they've got so it's got to be a positive Yeah, the
2: fixture computer Steve not kind to Newcastle, Liverpool away followed by playing Manchester City but how did rest Callum Wilson, Almir and, and Willock on Thursday night so they'll be fresh coming into this one for the weekend
3: Yeah, definitely. I think, you you know, I was not that surprised that he was rested, uh, Wilson. I was certainly surprised how well Newcastle started, Um, but there's some massive games for them. Clearly, the two Manchester clubs at home, if they do go ahead, um, you know, the, the fans behind them as well create a good atmosphere. They'll be given a chance. And you know what, Dan. Newcastle at home to Manchester City over recent seasons. They've, I know, it's, it's, it's different management now, and um, but I think it was four three at home last last season that they lost. Then it was two two the season before. They beat them two one the season before that. So this well, is a I game. Get Bruce back for this yeah, game. Yeah, get Brucey back. But this is a game I think where the uh, Magpie fans will certainly, you know, get behind their team and uh, and hopefully, certainly from a bookmaker's point of view, stop Manchester City winning as they seem to be doing every week at the moment. And how do you think this one plays out, Steve? Uh, Joao Cancelo hasn't scored for player. quite a while. He, in fact, his last Premier League goal was against Newcastle. He's had thirty shots, really? thirty-six shots since, not a goal. Nine to one to score at any time against this Newcastle defense. That's where I'm going to go. Oh, you've got previous with the the fullback shots
1: <laughs> as last well, day. Yeah, with Cancelo. I mean, I know we don't often do a bit of chat after the tip, but I I, I was texting Steve this morning about this as well. It, it, he seems to be so underappreciated. It's one of those weird things where we all know that Gerard Cancellara does incredible things with the football, and I mean we watch games,
3: not, not he, in the fantasy world, is not is
1: he? He does no, of course not. But he does <laughs> these amazing. You know, he, the, you look at the the assists and the, you know the way that he's able to manoeuvre. A football um, from range his passing range is absolutely unbelievable his crossing is incredible no one's surprised when he does it and then as soon as the game's over no one talks about him anymore you know it's all about Bernardo this season we talk about Kevin De Bruyne I think that Charles Cancelo has a massive shout to be one of the well, one of the best and most technical and best to watch players in the Premier League Like, no question. Why do we not talk about him for the PFA award? You know, you look at. You said Ballon d'Or. You said Ballon d'Or. Yeah, but I mean, that was a bit of a joke because that would never happen. (laughs) But but if you're looking at, at, you know, the best players, Trent is an example where he gets, correctly so, can I say, like Trent Alexander Arnold is an incredible creative outlet um, from, you know, we call it right back, but whatever position that now is, because it's not really part of the defence anymore. but Cancelo doesn't seem to get the same amount of credit. Maybe it's because he's versatile. Maybe it's because he can play on the left as well. I don't know. But I, he's one of my favourite footballers to watch in the world. Incred- incredible player. At the top of his game right now in amazing form.
2: That's a very nice chat, George. But how dare you do it after the team? <laughs> how dare you on this podcast? That is not what we do here <laughs> at all.
1: This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham.
0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
2: Game three, Spurs v. Liverpool. Now, when Spurs last played about three years ago, George, because that's how long it feels ago since I watched mm. them play. They were on a decent run. Under Conte, so this game could be a little bit of a banana skin for for Liverpool. I suppose they've firmed up as you would expect under Conte. They still can't get Kane for him, but they they were looking better, weren't they?
1: Yeah, it's absolutely incredible how Harry Kane, uh, even despite the Im- the improvement of form um, at Spurs, Kane is is never the one getting in the goals. Uh, and and Spurs, I guess, have benefited a little bit by. Maybe teams around them um, not picking up as many points as they'd hoped. Suddenly they're they're in seventh, but they've got three games in hand on Arsenal in fourth, and they're only four points behind them. So, you know, if you're taking games in hand into as, as a positive, um, you know, a positive thing for for a team, then it looks like the top four is well within their grasp. Uh, the issue here, when you're previewing this, is that we have absolutely no idea how Spurs are going to show up here. You no, know, we don't know. How many players are going to be available? How many players are going to be out? Antonio Conte was clearly and visibly troubled by, um, you know, they were the first Premier League club to be really hit by the, by the new wave of coronavirus, and you could tell his emotions were, were pretty fraught. I and mean, we don't know what impact that's going to have. You know, going back to what I mentioned at the top of the show about the on Emma Hayes' comments, um, they're coming up against a Liverpool side who's. Um, that their schedule hasn't been impacted. Is that a positive thing or a negative thing? As Spurs come into this fresh as opposed to Liverpool who have had to play on, on Thursday night? We just don't know. There are so many unknowns here. Either way, it's going to be a difficult game for, for Liverpool. You have to think um, with Spurs looking better. But I, I wouldn't necessarily have come into this with a point of view that Antonio Conte's had a lot of time to to work on his his methods with with the with the squad because there have clearly been issues in terms of of illness uh, within the squad itself.
2: Will Harry Kane ever score against Dave? It's getting a bit silly now, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I mean, I was actually at that Norwich game, which does seem about five years ago, um, admittedly. Um, and Harry Kane did have a number of shots. You could see, you could hear the crowd just you know just willing him on to. To score it's quite incredible that a player of, of, of his caliber has now had 32 shots 14 of which have been on target and he's he's still only managed to score that one goal and if memory serves you right that was a away at Newcastle where I think they had a look at uh, var for that one as well so that could have been a uh, disallowed as well um, everyone's talked about the, you know the way that he plays the the dropping um, of deep the linking up play um, of course, it was only a few years ago that Spurs hammered Liverpool 4-1 on their own patch as well. A bit, uh, admittedly, a different ground, and um, he managed to get two that day with Son getting one and and Adel Ali also scoring as well. Another forgotten player at uh, at Tottenham, but it looks good so far under under Conte. I thought there were. It was never a three-nil game against Norwich. I thought Norwich were particularly poor in front of goal. Puky missing an, an, another chance as well. But it's only one goal conceded under him, under the four Premier League games. Dan James scoring that goal as well. So I can't imagine the likes of Mane, Salah, Jota not missing the type of chances that Norwich had. So I'm looking forward to this game at the weekend.
2: Yeah, January is coming up, George, and there's absolutely no chance Harry Kane will move in January. The big deals like that very rarely happen in that market. But if Conte is coming in and Spurs, you'd think, would be challenging a little bit more than they were, is that Harry Kane now staying at Tottenham?
1: I think he's staying for the time being. I think any club um, <laughs> who are willing to pay uh, what Spurs would ask for for Harry Kane, given his current form, um, need to... Would Spurs accept £100 million now, do you think? Except 150 wasn't it the price <laughs> in the summer? Yeah. But
2: would they would they accept 100
1: million now? I think probably. I think I think they probably would. I think if City came back and said, "Yeah, we're, we're still keen to do the deal," I, I think they'd be mad not to. And I think Antonio Conte would be very happy to get that um, money in the kitty in order to go out and spend it himself. Um, but as I say, I, I don't think. I mean, Manchester City, their recruitment has been incredibly good over the last five or six years, but they have dodged two uh two bullets really you think back to the well maybe three you think back to the Alexis Sanchez deal um where we all thought that he was off to City and up going to Manchester United I mean maybe things would have turned out differently but his career hasn't really suggested so um I still think the Ronaldo deal would have been bizarre and then Harry Kane as well so the three kind of strikers I guess they've looked to replace Sergio Aguero with and you know let's um take a moment to appreciate what a great player he was and, and the sad news this week and just you know yeah. thank, thank God that he's retiring from a healthy position uh, relatively rather than anything happening to to um, to um change that but you know they've um they they've got a bit fortunate maybe in that because I think Kane is, is clearly very very out of sorts I, I do think he'll score again and I think the fact that he's going to be on the pitch Whenever he's fit for Spurs means that inevitably the goals are going to come, and and it wasn't long ago that he was spearheading England's attack to a to a Euros final. So um, although it might feel like a, a lifetime ago, um, so I'm sure it will come good. But yeah, I mean, I I cannot think that anyone would be foolish enough to spend the money um, that would be needed to prize him away from Spurs this January when he's so out of form.
2: And the the betting man Steve Liverpool are five to two second favourites for the title now, well ahead of Chelsea, who dropped to eight to one. Is that fair?
3: I think so. I, 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 maybe there should be a bit of a closer gap between Manchester City and and Liverpool. Uh, yeah, you know, Liverpool scoring again. I mean, they always they always score, don't they? They scored at least one in the last thirty-two games in all comps as well. And just the fact that they you know, Salah just keeps scoring goals. I think he's obviously done the record now with with Vardy goals and assists as well. So it's brilliant. Players are stepping up. Um, oxlade Chamberlain, who, who he seems to have another good game in midweek as well there is going to be concern maybe about the um african cup of nations i, mean, I don't know whether you guys think that goes ahead or, or or definitely not you know you know time will tell so clearly you know they're I'm done guessing with stuff like that yeah <laughs> yeah so you know clearly there would be some key names leaving anfield as well which i mean if, if if liverpool liverpool's price wouldn't change a great deal i don't think maybe just a, maybe a quarter of a point maybe go f- Five to two into nine to four. If the prices were currently, if it was called off, because you know, um, so we'll have to wait and see what happens there. But I think we got the right favourites. I think that the eight to one Chelsea might might tempt a few people, but clearly the way they're playing at the moment um, isn't fantastic. Even though, uh, of course, James he's 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 still playing well, and of course, and there's a small matter of Trent Alexander Arnold in the Liverpool side as well, and a bit of debate there as to. To who's the better player, and who Gareth Southgate should make his first choice?
2: Lovely segue, Steve. You can present next week. Trent did last night become the first player to create a hundred plus chances in the Premier League in twenty twenty one. George, his numbers now—they're just a joke.
1: Incredible. Uh, that's probably why he's he's mentioned more than João Cancelo. Um, yeah, I mean, he's just an unbelievable footballer, and that um, that strike to to put the cherry on the on the cake. Uh, against Newcastle was unbelievable. I mean that that ball striking ability, the, you know, he's we've, we've seen him hit some pretty good free kicks in the past, but from open play the power generated behind that um would have been fairly amusing if if Mike Dean's attempt to steal the show by running across the ball uh, if he'd been on the receiving end into the into into the <laughs> receiving end of one of the hardest strikes in Premier League history. Um I think maybe Trent would have had something to say about that but it was no I mean he's oh, my day would have been
2: in the back of the net as well <laughs> yeah, I think
1: it would have carried him with him um yeah I think it would have been his his crowning moment in a, in a glittering career Mike Dean that is not Trent um but it's uh yeah I mean he's you kind of one of those players where you run out of superlatives really um he's almost reinventing the wheel when it comes to that position uh, we've seen fullbacks being um reinvented for a Basically, my whole lifetime. You know, if you think back, the best fullback in the, the best right back in the Premier League when I was a was a kid was Gary Neville. And you look at Trent now, and you look at João Cancelo, with the you know the the wing back era in between, um, where probably Dani Alves is the one you think of, or, or Marcelo, or you know these players where the, the the position has developed so far. And and I see sometimes, um, especially when talking about Rhys James and talking about Trent Alexander Alexander Arnold, where Liverpool fans and Chelsea like to argue who's better. They're defensive. Um, records get brought into it. I mean, they they have as much to do defensively these days as 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 you know your 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 eights. You know, it's not their job really. Their their primary role on the pitch when they're playing a a, a right back. Although I don't want to call it right back, is to attack. Um, and it's generally the the position, especially when you're playing three at the back you know that the wide center backs are there to to stop the wingers and and kind of cut off the the crosses into the box and you've got the holding midfielder who drops in between to the center backs to make it a 4 if needed like it's not it's not their role um so and yes that's probably why Gareth southgate prefers Trippier walker um and James to to Trent but um in terms of the job that he has at, at Liverpool there's nobody in the world who could do it better and um and we're, we're absolutely blessed to have him
2: and what's your prediction for this one george
1: I think because of the uncertainty around Spurs, I think you've got a side with with Liverpool here. Um, but they are very short. They're 8-15 to 15 to win the game, which is which is very, very short, away from home at a, at, a, at a Conte side. But I think you can bat them minus one on the Asian handicap at just over even money at 2.03, meaning that if they win the, the game by just a solitary goal, you get your money back. And if they win by two, three, four, then you're basically doubling your money, which seems a fair way to go. Um, because, you know, as I say, the Spurs could be decimated by, by COVID. We've seen in the last couple of weeks, Liverpool are playing at, at a very, very high level. And if they repeat that performance, Spurs are going to have to be very good to stop Schotter, to stop Salah, to stop um, Mane and to stop Trent Alexander-Arnold.
3: i tell you what, what caught my eye against the Norwich game, clearly the, the, the class of opponents very different, was the... How much Ben Davis was roaming forward, very comfortable on the ball. And he is a goal scorer waiting to happen. He hasn't scored. Steve, He he hasn't scored since September 2017, admittedly away at Huddersfield. But put Ben Davis in your tracker. He's scoring soon for Spurs, believe me. (laughs) What is it with you and obscure fullback goal scorers? (laughs) I can't get away from it. It's it's all you
2: tip. You don't tip anything else.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I do do find one occasionally. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut occasionally. (laughs) exactly oh dear I think that's just enough from
2: us today a bit of a different show obviously because we don't really know what's going on but hopefully those three games all take place just enough time for me to remind you that if for some reason you're not a subscriber to The Athletic and you would like to change that head to athletic.com slash footballpod and you will gain access to all the brilliant articles as well as ad-free podcasts for just £3.33 a month for an entire year to take advantage of that as I say just go to athletic.com slash footballpod Thank you Steve, thank you George and of course thanks to all you guys for listening as well Remember to hit the subscribe button so that you never miss a show Mark Chapman, David Ornstein and company are back on this feed on Monday You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast Enjoy all the football and have a great weekend and when I say all the football, whatever takes place
1: The Athletic